Today's show is brought to you by the Human Resource Executive Magazine's HR Technology Conference and Exposition, held October 1st to 4th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Join me and thousands of your colleagues at the world's largest exhibition of HR technology. Act now using the code HREX and you can receive a $300 discount on your ticket. Thanks, we'll see you there. And by the way, don't miss the Women in Technology segment. Good morning. And welcome to HR Tech Weekly, one step closer with Stacy Harris and John Sumser. Hi, Stacy. Hi, John. How you doing? Okay, I am in I am in beautiful somewhere, Pennsylvania. Oh, you're not home this week. You are you are here on the East Coast. Yes, uh, if you can get through the through the thunderstorms, we had some some pretty rough ones the last couple of days. But as soon as they end, the rainbows come out. The sun is shining. It's 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 a uh, not a bad time to be here on the East Coast. I think the temperatures are kind of mid 90s, late uh, low 90s. It's it's breathable still. So <laughs> welcome. To says you. says you. I think you need a snorkel to breathe this air. <laughs> you know, it's, it's mostly water. Um, it is, yes, but you don't need moisturizer, John. <laughs> Maybe it's the right thing. Well, well, well the, there you go. You do need moisturizer in California. So we were having a great conversation just just before this started, and you were talking about some of the things that you're seeing as you really scrub the data out in your survey. Let's pick up there, and then we can go to what the news is. Yeah, definitely. No, it's it. We're all, as most people probably know, we're wrapping up um, our cleaning process for the Sierra Cedar Annual HR System Survey that um, I work on, and it is always a fascinating process to go through. But this year, in particular, I got to get a little bit deeper into it because we've got um, a new um, uh, new analyst, uh, Amy Gerchensky, who's sort of getting on board with all of the cleaning processes, and so I was sort of helping her through them and. It is it's fascinating when you look at not only the numbers but the diversity of the types of companies that are in the research. So this year we're going to end up with probably about 20 to 30% more than what we had last year almost. We're at around 1,894.95. We'll probably lose a few more when we go through some of our final data cleaning points. But, but that's almost 1,900 individual companies. We cleaned that down from like 4,000 companies, so you know 4,000 responses, I should say. So we we go to individual companies. We make sure that you know they know what they're talking about. We make sure the data is you know appropriately sort of uh, responded to across various questions. So it's not just basically they put their email in or they clicked on a link. They actually provided information, um, and so it's really interesting to see for me, anyways, as I'm getting into some of the details. Um, what the differences is between those companies. I mean, we run the gamut from, you know, the largest, you know, oil and gas or the biggest telecommunication firms or large global government, you know, organizations that that cross multiple nations all the way to, you know, small nonprofits that are dealing with an individual city and homeless situations, right? Or or organizations that are, you know, developing or building, you know, siding for houses or construction companies in a region. And the differences between those organizations are amazing, but the similarities are surprising too. And that's really fun. It's it's fun to see 
what makes us unique, but also what makes us the same. So it's it's a little bit of a human story there on that front. So so it's been fun. Yeah. Oh, how about a couple of juicy details? What what what's what's the one thing that makes companies the same that you saw? Just one thing. Well, yeah, probably the the the, the biggest thing is that. No matter who the company, you know, no matter large, medium, small, what location or region they're in, um, they're using HR technology in multiple in their organizations. It used to be that I would just sort of get my payroll solution, and that would sort of be it, right? You know, and then I might add a few things as I got bigger. But even companies of 20 employees, which sort of is amazing, is sort of looking at plans to purchase talent solutions and um, engagement platforms where I don't think that would have been the case five years ago, right? So I think it's the diversity of the, the types of HR technology that they're looking to use that, that goes across all organization sizes, regions. It makes very, very similar. They're all dealing with, you know, talent issues. They're all dealing with, with um, workforce challenges that they're trying to figure out how to handle, and HR technology is one way they're doing it. So it's interesting. Wow, wow. And so what's the one thing that's different? Oh, well, that's probably, I mean, you know. The, I, the guess, biggest, I guess if there, was one, yeah. if there was one thing that was different, it wouldn't be different. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I, you know, I think the differences, uh, you know, are, the, the interesting findings for me are when you find a small local regional company who's, like I said, maybe doing construction in an area or a series of hotels, right, that, or franchise owners, right, in one area, who are spending just as much energy on things like um, social responsibility as large global organizations, right? So I think, you know, there are similarities in maybe what they're trying to do, but the type of organization that's doing them is not the same, right? So there's there's so much seems to come down to the culture, versus the industry or the region or the areas. A lot of what I'm seeing seems to be a cultural decision by a senior leadership group as to what's important or not important to a company. Um, and that's it. That, that's sort of interesting. I'm not quite sure how we're going to get to that conversation yet because we've got to figure out ways to assess that. But, you know, we talked a lot about the differences in culture and, and how that makes an impact on technology decisions. And, I, and it can definitely be seen when two companies that are very much the same in size and type of workforce and, 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 you know, the type of organization they are, and they have two totally different approaches to, you know, variations in how they approach social, you know, conversations, um, talent strategies, those type of things. So that that's sort of interesting in the dynamics of diversity and difference. Well, I can't, I can't wait to hear more. I've been having a, so, so I'm on the East Coast to spend time with um, a couple of uh, talent acquisition companies, and I've had, I've had a chance to get to spend some time with people I like to spend time with from around the industry. And at the talent acquisition companies, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me being generally from California, at least for, for 25 or so years, to think about middle New Jersey and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania as places where there's technology happening. Mm -hmm. um, and 
Um, and, and so, so what you see, what I've been seeing is that there are really different regional definitions of what bias is and isn't. It's, it's, it's hard to articulate, but, um, I think my, my, my first theory is that basic demographics actually matter. So, so where I live, Caucasians are a minority, um, under 40%. And even in the sort of widest of neighborhoods, there's a pretty generic spread of different kinds of ethnicity. Um, that seems to be less true in the Northeast. And I, I'm not sure I could say it any better than that or not, but, but, but you run through distinctly ethnic neighborhoods here. Yes. And, yeah, and, it is, and that, that's just not what happens in Northern California. Well, and I, and I think the the at least on the East Coast, and and you know you're in Pennsylvania right now, and like you said, New Jersey, you've been in. You know, I originally come from Ohio, and even here in North Carolina, um, you know, where you live, you know, is a a is almost a calling card to some extent as to who you are and your background and your affluence, right? Um, very much so. I was here. I maybe everywhere but particularly i would say you know from my experience it's more so than some other cities and other regions that i've gone to outside the u.s right but here on the east coast is definitely um once someone sort of knows where you're at they sort of have an idea at least on some level of who you are which good or bad i mean there's a lot of bad to that from a biases perspective there's a lot of bad to that from a diversity conversation um but you know when you're looking at statistics and the fact that we do a lot of you know, work in the idea of calculating a personality or a perspective or a view because that's going to have an impact on how you do your job or whether or not we're going to hire you or, or whether you're going to fit into a position, right? Um, location could play a big role in that, right? Right. Right. So, so it's a, it's a huge conversation and, I, I, and it's one that I don't want to swing wildly in, but I, I rarely avoid that. But, but but it seems to me that that what's meant by bias is different in different regions, and it's different depending on who's on the receiving end of the bias. Right? This is this is probably my big insight in the last couple of weeks has been when I think about bias because I am a distinctly privileged white man, when I think of bias, I think of it as something that might produce errors in my decision making. Uh And when my black friends think about bias, they think about it as a room that doesn't have a door. And, 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 and that difference between a sort of an inconvenience and a compelling totality of reality is it's it's really hard to communicate that it's really really hard to communicate that that statistical variations are biased yes but um, 
if you're on the receiving end of that bias, the last thing it feels like is a statistic. Yeah. It feels like a, it feels like a limit. Um, and um, I don't think you get to experience both sides of that. Or it's very difficult to experience both sides of that. That's a, it, it, that's a good, and, and, you know, I think that's the kind of um, conversations that we need to be having in the HR technology space, right, um, is because I think we, we look at bias, and, and I think your, your, your first comment about it being a, an error, right, um, is, is a perspective that it's always wrong, right? And then in another right. perspective, it's, it's more than wrong. It can be dangerous or it can be beyond limiting, right? It's not just an error. It's it's a it's a it's the difference between me having a job um that could save my life or not, right? Um or give, right. you know, give me something that, you know, m- provides food for my family or not, or it could be something that builds in what I want in my environment. And that's a that's a conversation about ethics. I mean, one of the the um I chose not to actually put it in here, but there was an article in Sherm this week that I was reading about, um, you know, ethics and, and HR's role in ethics. And I thought, it, you know, and it had talked about the Facebook, um, you know, um, fine that they just got from the government and talked a little bit about, you know, sort of the issues with Amazon and their algorithms for recruiting. I thought it was just so surface level not that it wasn't bad a bad article it was just it was just wasn't really getting to things we're talking about here right um and i think that is a bit of the problem that someone talks about bias and ethics and it becomes a, a very a very surface level conversation about data privacy and diversity and it's so much more than that right it, no this is this is i think i think this topic is sort of the gateway to the way things are going to work starting yesterday, yeah. right? Where, where um, the, the degree to which things are going to be categorized and measured, you can't even begin to imagine. And when you start doing that, you, you know, take all of the scary negative stuff away from it for a second. When you start doing that, it forces you to dig deeper. Um, for um, this, this is this is this is an important thing actually. For the last twenty or thirty years, the emphasis is on staying as shallow as you possibly can as a business strategy. And, and so, so the next iteration of stuff is going to be about going deep. Has to be. Right? We have to do the work that the machine can't do. Exactly. Because that's all that's left for us at this point, right, is to do the work yeah. that the machine and can't do. It's all of the hard, rewarding work is all that's left. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> okay. And that, <laughs> I mean, if we think about that, if we think about what technology is going to provide for us, you know, if if take at face value – because what it has already automated is the shallow. It, it is the idea of everyone is the same. I treat everyone the same. Everyone is an algorithm concept, right? Um, mm-hmm. If we don't 
use the time we now have because these technologies are doing so much of that sort of surface level stuff for us already, then I think that's the biggest challenge for HR in the future, more so than are you strategic, more so than are you, you know, capable of understanding the technology. If, if you aren't actually taking the time you've been given now to be more human, for lack of a term, to focus on the more human issues, the the individual conversations, right, then then you're not doing what HR is, is capable of doing in the future, right? Yep, I think it's even bigger than that. I think I think the question of what is the relationship between HR and the quality of the company's output? Yeah. That, that simply hasn't been addressed before. Um, and that's got all sorts of interesting implications that we'll, we'll talk about over the next couple of months. But, yeah. but quality seems to me should be a primary concern of HR and it is nowhere because it's a cost center. HR generally only thinks about things being cheaper or faster. Um, and many of the things like bias mitigation, you can't do bias mitigation by hurrying up. <laughs> you have to do bias no. mitigation by slowing down. Right. And so, so it's really a, it's really a hard thing for a cost center to sell that what you have to do is slow things down so that you can see where the bias is. Well, and I think this comes back to both HR's perspective, but also the leaders in the organization's perception of HR. You know, we have a question in the survey every year. We ask about how, what is the perception of HR in your organization, and it runs the gamut from, you know, a compliance activity to no respect whatsoever all the way up to strategic partners, right? And what I'm always fascinated by is that <clears throat> it usually runs around 40% of the market that feels their HR function is a strategic partner at, a, at, a, at making a strategic difference to the outcomes. And those organizations who end up in that category also tend to be the organizations that spend the most per employee in some cases that are doing more what you would consider costly HR, right? Um, so this idea that HR always has to find a way to save or be cost effective or, you know, it's a cost center, that, that whole conversation needs to change dramatically. Because if you are an organization that is focusing on the value of your people and the outcomes that those people have in the organization, then you're not a cost center, you are as important as the operations is in the organization, right? Yep. Yep. So, so we could go, we could go around this, around <laughs> this maple for a while. Uh, and, and I'd love to, but let, let's find out what's in the news. Yeah. It's, it's a kind of quiet. So it's not a bad way to start the conversation with a couple of, you know, interesting topics that both you and I are thinking about as we're sort of working on our research projects this year, but definitely there are still some things happening. Um, even while everybody's sort of on vacation and getting ready to get started here in September, but um, we've got people strong out of India. For those of you who know, they're a payroll core HRMS. They've, they've got other things they offer within their application. They're continuing to build out their platform. Uh, they have just launched Zippy, an intelligent enterprise collaboration platform. We also have uh, Beamery aiming to strengthen their employee branding with a career site. I, I'm interested in this thing a little bit. You know, Beamery is sort of one of the new 
um, talent acquisition applications on the market, particularly focusing on I think the marketing aspect of things. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they're taking that career site conversation a little bit farther. Another one is uh, out of the European market is Alexander Mann. Um, they've acquired a little HR technology known as Karen HR, so artificial intelligence uh, chatbot. Uh, assistant technology, um, and adding leaders for North America. So they're sort of building up, I think, their idea of reaching North America that also has to include that technology. Um, we also have HR startup um, raising $5 million called With You, With Me, which is for veterans, always a soft spot for me in my heart. So uh, nice we're getting some, some additional work there. Um, and then we also... Well, and if we get time today, I think there there is some interesting conversations to be had. There was there was a great article sort of written. I think HR Dive did this, but it was about HR leaders and how much they have to know about deep fakes. Do, do you know about deep fakes, John? Have you done much research into this area at all? Um, I ju- I just know what I see out of the corner of my eye, and and yeah. what what is interesting to me is that that it's it's likely that people are going to start learning how to hack assessments, for instance. Um, I mean, why wouldn't you have a small company that looked at that company X's assessment process and came up with scoring mechanisms and strategies for games and stuff that gave you an advantage of getting assessed in a way that meets the company's hiring criteria? Right. So, so, so lots of things from faking my video interview so that you don't notice my shifty eyes <laughs> to, yeah. to, to cheating on assessment tests. I think those are all coming our way. Yeah. And, and we're also seeing the, the, the particular examples they gave here are not just in the recruiting space, but we're also seeing the idea of scams with, using your employees as part of those scams, right? So capturing a video of your CEO or a video of someone high up in the organization and then sending that to someone in some fashion or some way to get them to do something that they would normally not do inside your organization. You know, who's held accountable for that kind of, you know, and how careful do we have to expect our, our employees? Oh, that is, such an, that is such an awesome idea. It never would have occurred <laughs> to me. But, but you know, so so many jobs these days you you have lots of responsibility and no authority that's what that's mm-hmm. what a non hierarchical management structure does is you get lots yeah. of responsibility and no authority and so the traditional way that people make up for the gap in authority is they invoke the name and reputation of the boss yeah. mm-hmm. exactly Pete told, me to do, Pete told me to do this you better help me. <laughs> It's like it's like the basic arm twisting methodology, and now you can do it in video. That's great. Now you can do it in video. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can I can probably tell you in a month. I probably get two, maybe three already emails from someone who is named my CEO saying, "I have an urgent call. I need you to call me to give me information on our company." Right, and I'm like, "Oh, come on." But I mean, these are happening already on some level. Now imagine that they do audio, right? Like they could actually take my CEO's voice, chop it up, and send it to me in a voicemail, or again, video. And do, the 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 amount of I think risk here for employees 
um, is pretty high, right? When we think about what's happening right now with you know the, sort of the scam market and the sort of the ransomware market, um, and yeah, so there's that. There's the recruiting scams. There's the ability for organizations to sort of understand, you know, a, a brand like you know what happens if if an employee is deep faked saying something and then your brand gets hit and it's not something you can come back from, right? Um, those are all issues that that organizations have to face with this, and it's an HR issue, right? Who, who would have ever thought HR would have to deal with the, you know, issue of the the, the conversation in this particular article is, is about when it started was Forrest Gump being you know placed in like you know meetings with Jeff Kennedy and stuff, and I was thinking. Never in my wildest dream when I was watching Forrest Gump for the first time would I have thought, oh, there's an HR issue that's coming to pass, right? <laughs> there, should, there should be a design rule that goes, if you're going to develop a technology, please try to understand in advance how it's going to be used as spam and inhibit that function. Yes. Right? Because this is, this is just more spam, right? And so, so the answer to what's going to happen and how our employees going to manage this is um, there will be algorithms on phones that go, Oh, this looks like a fake video. Yeah. Right. Just like, just like all of my phone calls now are labeled spam. Yes. <laughs> but not all, not all of them. Every once in a while I get a phone call from somebody who I care about, but for, in general, when my phone rings, it's an 800 number trying to give me a timeshare somewhere or something. Yeah, we don't answer yeah. it. Yeah, and you're right. Yeah, yeah, it's destroyed it. So, so those are, I think, you know, some interesting things going on. I mean, w- do you want to spend a little bit of time talking because you know, with the recruiting market, I think there are some interesting things happening here. The the Beamery conversation with career sites, right, uh, as well as the Alexander Mann and and Karen HR, both of those are not investments per se financially, but acquisitions and new technology. Um, Anything new here, you think, other than what we've already talked about with the idea of well, HR technology being put together with consulting here? These are two great companies. So the first thing that I want to say is is the guy who runs Karen HR, it may be the coolest CEO in all of HR tech because he's also he's also the drummer for Canada's leading Americana band. And so, so he often <laughs> runs the company um, from hotel rooms on the road while the band is touring. And this is, this is like a big deal band. They play huge arenas. Um, and, and he's so much of a, um, of a gentle genius that, that he doesn't make it seem like it's a problem to be a sort of a, a rock star drummer and the CEO of a tech company at the same time. He's he's one of the, one of the best guys I've ever met in the business. And so I love that. The fact, the fact that he was acquired by Alexander Mann says a lot about Alexander Mann. Yeah. And um, Noel, his name is Noel Webb. Noel is um, 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 very sensitive to the actual realities of chatbot development and. You know, there's there's a lot of in the chatbot arena. There's an enormous amount of hype, and underneath the you know, it's like it's like a, it's like a chocolate cake that has a two inch layer of frosting on it. There actually is chocolate cake under there, um, and it, it's actually good, 
but you have to get through all of the frosting to get to the cake. And, <laughs> and Karen HR is one of the pieces of cake. Oh, okay. Um, right. And, and so, so it's, it's a great acquisition. And in some ways, the early stages of chatbots are a much better fit with staffing companies because everything revolves around the transaction in the staffing company. Right. And yeah. so anything that can bring regularity to the transaction um, is an improvement in the results of the company. Right. And so it's a very logical thing for staffing companies to buy chatbot companies, but it's also part of a larger trend where people in the staffing industry, uh, like RPOs, um, are becoming technology providers because they can bring a different business model to the market. So, so because Alexander Mann gets paid on a transaction basis, um, then when you buy technology from Alexander Mann, it may not even come labeled technology. Um, it may come labeled services because they don't have to accrue revenue in the way the traditional HR providers do. It gets even more complicated when you go look at somebody like Ronstadt, who is going to, or, or Allegis, who are releasing named products in technology into the marketplace with different business uh, models underlying the technology, so there's a, there's a, there's a shift signified by the Alexander Mann acquisition there. Yeah, I think this is you know it, it's part of what we have been talking about, right? From with 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 all those organizations you just mentioned, um, but it also for me really sets the tone for the fact that this is I mean, because this because um, Alexander Mann is a, is a London-based you know organization, and I think there is a conversation to be had at some point about the European and the Asia-Pacific market's perspective on artificial intelligence, which I think is very different in some sense from the North America perspective. Um, and I believe there is a, 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 a conversation here also about the fact that the idea of it being a support or a assistant or that kind of, that kind of a tool perspective, right, is is much more comforting in those environments and much more sort of accepted, right, than the idea of something just you and telling you this is how you do it, right. So so that would be interesting to see if there's some difference there as well. Yeah, I think I think that probably spreads right into the Beamery conversation. Um, now this is another this is another disciplined group of people executing what's a conventional Silicon Valley business in a setting where the financing and the staffing is all British. Um, 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 it works, right? The, the, the first thing is that it works and that when they do things like adding career sites, what you have to understand about what they've done is the career site, again, is sort of the, I hate to keep using frosting on cake, but but the reason that you have a career site isn't just to advertise jobs, but it's to understand what happens, right? And so so the career site becomes the generator of data about potential employees um, well beyond what they give you in their resumes. 
And so, so what, what, what's, what's hard to get from the announcement itself is that femory represents the idea that the more different ways you can interface with the people who are trying to be, become your employees, the more data you can collect about that particular demographic and the more sensible your decisions can be. Right? And so there's, a, there's an argument that will emerge, I think, that says that the approach of having multiple touch points allows you to make a better quality recruiting decision. And, and we've been so, hearing that for a while. I mean, that was the, that's the talent pool conversation to some extent, right, as well. And that's, but I think that's exactly what this is. This is this is how the talent pool conversation expresses as a career site. Exactly. It's exactly what this is. Well, it's definitely there's definitely a lot of interest here. I think even as it's been a quiet kind of sleepy summer week, um, the the topics are artificial intelligence and uh, talent acquisition, along with that really difficult topic of bias and ethics themes we've been talking about all year long. Even on a hot summer week where everybody else seems to be on a vacation, those are still hot topics here. So it's definitely been a week. <laughs> well, well, maybe they, maybe this week they became humid topics as well. There you go, yeah. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, Stacey. As usual, great conversation. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. This has been HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. And we'll see you back here next week. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.